Let me pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity we have tonight to look at your word and to consider uh, who you are in your eternality and who we are as temporal people. Help us to live well in light of the hope that we have of the resurrection. May you use your word tonight to encourage us, to confront us, and to make us more like your son. Pray this in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. If you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to Job 14. Go ahead and turn to the book of Job, chapter 14. We are going to be looking at 1 Thessalonians tonight, but I want to start our time by looking at Job, Job 14. And as you turn there, I want you to imagine the following scenario. I want you to imagine that you are stuck in a car that is heading towards a cliff. Uh, You cannot stop the car. You cannot exit the car. The door won't open and the seatbelt will not be undone. The cliff is coming and you are going to die. What do you do in that situation? What are your options? Well, one of your options might be distraction. One of your options could be that maybe you call like an advertising company and ask them, is there any way you could put up a billboard in front of this cliff so I don't have to see it before I go over it? You would think that's a very strange option, and yet that's very similar to how we actually go through life. It's very similar to the way that we think about the topic of death. Uh, 17th century philosopher Blaise Pascal, speaking about death, wrote this. He said, we run heedlessly into the abyss after putting something in front of us to stop us from seeing it. In other words, what he's saying is that we go through life in a kind of a strange way. We know we're going to die. We know death is inevitable, but we try every which way we can to distract us from that, to not think about it and not have to deal with it. Maybe we know we can't stop death, but maybe we could at least avoid talking about it. That's that's really what you see practiced in our world. There is this cultural attempt to avoid death. We don't talk about death. We don't think about our own death. Even our terminology, like we don't have graveyards anymore. We have memorial parks. We don't have funerals. We have a celebration of life. There's no more undertakers, right? That's not unless like you're into WWE or something like that. What you have instead is is, uh, service directors. Death used to be something that happened very much in front of us. You would lose a loved one, a grandma, a parent, a child, a spouse. You would lose them in your home. Now they go to hospice care, so that could happen elsewhere. In fact, if you look at older churches, as some of you, if you've like traveled and seen like super old churches, you'll notice like, wow, like there's a graveyard like in the back or even in the front of the church. We don't do that now. Graveyards are kind of hidden off. And like I said, we don't use that word. But what's very clear in the Bible is death is inevitable. It's a reality we all have to deal with. Right here I have Job 14 in front of you. Job 14 verse 1 says, Man who is born of a woman is a few days and full of trouble. He comes out like a flower and withers. He flees like a shadow and continues not. Take a look at verse 5. It says, Since his days are determined and the number of his months is with you, you have appointed his limits that he cannot pass. Look away from him and leave him alone that he may enjoy like a hired hand his day. Verse 7, For there is hope for a tree 
If it be cut down, that it will sprout again, that its shoots will not cease. Though its roots grow old in the earth, and its stump die in the soil, yet at the scent of waters it will bud and put out branches like a young plant. But a man dies and is laid low. Man breathes his last, and where is he? As waters fail from a lake and a river wastes away and dries up, so man lies down and rises not again. Job there reflecting on the reality that man will die. And when he dies, that is the end. Hebrews 9 says it's appointed for a man to die once. And in James 4, it describes our life as like a vapor. It's like a mist. It's here one second and it's gone the next. And so the question we need to think about is how do we handle the reality of death? How do we feel in light of the fact that life is short, death is inevitable, and it is hauntingly permanent? It makes it so difficult when loved ones pass away because they aren't coming back. That time you wanted with them will go unspent, and the last thing we wanted to say will have to go unsaid. And so how do we think about death? And how do we have hope or how do we feel in the face of death? Well, that's why I want to look at our passage tonight, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thess 4 has to do with the reality of how do we as Christians think about death and how is our thinking about death different from the way the world thinks about death. We've been studying this letter since January. And since January, we've been looking at this church that Paul calls an exemplary church. He, he points out that they're, they're an example to all the churches in the region. They're evangelistic. They're loving towards one another. They walk in holiness. But there's a problem that they're facing is that their fellow Christians are dying. And they're not quite sure what to make of it in light of the eternal promises of the Lord. So let's look at this chapter, First Thess chapter 4, and let's read verses 13 to 18. Here's what Paul says. He says, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that is, those who have died, that you may not grieve as others who do, sorry, as others do, who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with Him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven, and with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Three times you see it in this passage, he uses the word asleep. Verse 13, verse 14, and verse 15. And we see here, uh, sleep is, it is a euphemism for death. Now what we know about these people is that they were waiting for the return of Jesus. Flip back to chapter 1, verse 9. If you look at chapter 1, verse 9, when Paul commends them, he's talking about uh, how uh, these people were those, if you look at halfway through verse 9, it says how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. And so early on, Paul commends this church for saying, you're a group of Christians who are waiting for the return of King Jesus. 
You're mindful that there is an eternal kingdom, not this kingdom as the permanent kingdom, but they're, they're waiting for Christ to return. Here's part of the issue, though. Their fellow Christians have died. And so what they're wondering is, when Jesus comes back, are they going to some extent miss out? Like, it's not that these people hadn't heard about a resurrection before. It wasn't that they thought these people were doomed to never be alive again. It's just that they were thinking, you know, when Jesus comes back, are these people going to miss out then on His kingdom because they've died before Jesus returned? That's their fear. That's their worry. They know about the resurrection, but in the face of death, they're concerned that their fellow believers might end up being second-class citizens. And so Paul writes them to comfort their fears and to encourage them in the face of death. And I want you to notice here, look at verse 13 in our passage. Paul does not say, I do not want you to grieve. But instead he says that you may, I want, I want you not to be uninformed. I have some information for you to share. And because of this information, I want you to not grieve as those who have no hope. I mean, the reality is death is always sad. And the idea that as Christians that we're supposed to be like, Smiling, hey, it's okay, I trust the Lord in the face of death. Like, no, don't, don't be a weirdo. <laughs> don't, don't be strange. Like, death is a sad thing. Anytime someone created the image of God, passes away, it's a reminder of sin. It's a reminder that this isn't right. This isn't the way that God created the world to be. We weren't designed to die. We mourn because we love. Death is sad. But he does not say, do not grieve. He says, do not grieve like those who have no hope. See, See, Christians in the face of death grieve, but it's not a hopeless grief. It's a hope-filled grief. And that hope-filled grief comes from knowledge. He says, I don't want you to be uninformed. There's some knowledge you need to have. But what's that knowledge? It's the knowledge of the resurrection. It's because of the resurrection that we can grieve, we can face difficulty with hope. In the sadness of life, we can rejoice because we have assurance of the life to come. If I were to give a thesis statement. Here's sort of my one-sentence summary of this passage. As Christians, we grieve with certain hope because of the certainty of the resurrection. As Christians, we grieve with certain, confident hope because of the certainty of the resurrection. That is, as Christians, whether it be death or whether it be a thousand lesser trials that we face, we can have confidence still, have hope in those, because we know the resurrection happened and we know we ourselves will be resurrected. Where does this certainty come from? Three reasons. Three areas why you can have certain hope in light of death right out of this text. Number one is this. There'll be three points tonight, all having to be with super certain hope. Here's number one. Number one, we have certain hope because Jesus rose from the dead. We have certain hope because Jesus rose from the dead. Look at verse 14. Before he gets into our resurrection, he begins with Jesus' resurrection. He says, For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with Him those who have fallen asleep. That is, because Jesus rose, God's going to resurrect those who have believed in Jesus. What's amazing is if we look at the Gospels, like Jesus over and over again calls his shot when it comes to his own resurrection. Like he's not shy about it. He, he's preaching about it regularly. Mark 8, 
31, it, it says that Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days, rise again. He said this plainly, it says, Mark 8, 31. In John chapter 2, verses 18 through 22, is the passage where Jesus says, destroy this temple, and I will raise it in three days. Talking about his own body and his own resurrection. And what happens over and over again in the New Testament is our resurrection is tied to Jesus' resurrection. Uh, take your Bibles if you would. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Verse 14. And then we'll, and then we'll, we'll look at a verse in 1 Corinthians right after that. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Verse we start in verse 13. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak. Verse 14. Knowing that He who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into His presence. See this connection. Because Jesus was raised, we're going to be raised. The same, the same pattern happens in Philippians. Uh, Philippians chapter 2 when it talks about be humble, consider others more important than yourself. It says, have this attitude who is, uh, that was also in Jesus. Jesus died, but was exalted. Therefore, you can have the confidence that if you die to self and humility, you will also be exalted. Uh, go to 1 Corinthians 15. And the reason why I bring this up, we remember the certainty is as certain as Jesus rose from the dead. It's sort of like we get grafted in. Like, I've, I've seen these commercials. I've, I've never... Obviously banked with them, and you'll understand. But I've seen so many commercials. Have you guys seen the commercials for Navy Federal Credit Union before? Who's seen these commercials before? It's like, oh, Navy Federal Credit Union, it's a great bank. What? You didn't serve in the Army. Oh, no, but my grandpa served in the Army. So I get it on. Have you guys seen these commercials where anybody, anyone banking with Navy Federal in here? All right, that's okay. It's fine. I don't either because I, you know, didn't get in on that. But it's just like, no, I had a relative who got the perk, and therefore I got the same perk. Well, that's how the resurrection works for us. It's like Jesus was resurrected from the dead because we're united to Christ. Not only do we get adopted in Christ, not only are we co-heirs with Christ, but we then get the same sort of resurrection. We're united with Him and we get the same benefits as He gets. Look at verse 13 there, 1 Corinthians 15. It says, But if there's no resurrection from the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. In other words, if Jesus hasn't been raised from the dead, you're not going to be raised from the dead either. Why would you think you would get it if He didn't? But verse 20, in verse 20 says, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, and that death passed on to us, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, His resurrection passed on to us. But each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. So what do we do with this? How can I know that I'll be resurrected? How can I know that fellow believers whom I love who have died will be resurrected as well? Because Jesus was raised from the dead. And if the grave is empty, that means that we ourselves will not be in the grave forever either. I love this quote. I, my, it was actually Katie that found this, uh, my, my wife, a few months ago. And it's been stuck in my head since. A commentator writing on 1 Corinthians 15 says this. He says, While graveyards may remind one of the brevity of, the brevity of life, 
The resurrection ensures the brevity of death. Isn't that amazing? The resurrection ensures the brevity of death. The question is, do we believe this? Do we act like we believe that one day we ourselves will be resurrected? Or, in our suffering, do we grieve like we don't have hope? I understand that trials cause grief. This isn't a, this isn't a, uh, this isn't a sermon of being smiley no matter what or stoic without tears. Trials do get in the way. They bother us. But as a Christian, they don't devastate us. They don't leave us hopeless. They don't ruin everything. Why? Because Jesus is going to resurrect us one day. And we know that because Jesus is raised from the dead. At the very least, they, they shouldn't bother us. Friend, do you worry? Let me ask you this. Do you worry about trials in your life? Whether it be death or whether it be, le- or whether it be lesser trials. Do you worry in a way that some might wonder, does that person actually believe that the resurrection is going to happen in their own life? Like, do you get so worked up that someone who's not a Christian might be tempted to think, I don't know if that one really believes in an afterlife because of how much they're responding to loss in this life. There's a, a very famous pastor who passed away today, a guy by the name of Tim Keller. And I was looking at an interview that he did back in 2020. He was just asked, like, hey, what do you, do you say to young people uh, who right now are, are thinking, uh, uh, who right now are thinking, man, like, I just don't know if life's ever going to get any better. And, you know, 2020, I think a lot of us were wondering, is life ever going to get any better? And his response was, was, you know, I'd say to that young person is, just off the bat, if Jesus raised, was, was resurrected from the dead, everything's going to work out fine. And I just love the simplicity of that. Like, our confidence is based on the fact that our Savior's tomb is empty. And that He is seated at the right hand in heaven. So number one, certain hope because of Jesus' resurrection. Here's number two. Why do we have certain hope in the face of trials? We have certain hope because Jesus has promised. Because Jesus has promised. Back in 1 Thessalonians now. i got to get there from 1 Corinthians. Back now in 1 Thessalonians. Look what Paul says there in verse 15. How he begins to, to unpack this argument. He says, verse 15, For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord. So first of all, Paul's going to say, this resurrection that I'm going to speak of comes from the Lord. Uh, This this is truth that's from God's Word. Now this seems to be some sort of personal revelation to Paul from Jesus that he has passed on. But friends, we have heard over and over again, both in the Old Testament and from the Gospels, of the promise of the resurrection. Like Daniel chapter 12 you read it later, verses 2 and 3, talk about a resurrection of the saints. Job 19, you can write this to verse down. Job 19, 25 to 27. Job says, For I know that my Redeemer lives, and that at, and, oh, sorry, and at the last He will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold and not another. He's saying he has hope of resurrection. That's way back in Job, which is one of the earliest books. We can read about Joseph. You know, he was the one with the fancy coat and his brothers beat him up. At the end of his life, Joseph says, hey, when I die, I want you to take my bones back to Israel. Why? Because he fully expected to be raised from the dead and he wanted to be in the promised land when it happened. Take your Bibles. Let's go to John chapter 11. John chapter 11. And think again about what Jesus has told us here in John chapter 11 about the resurrection. 
And I want you to see something that's, that's maybe helpful for us. That when we think about resurrection, what Jesus does in this passage is help us to see that resurrection is not so much associated with some formula that God's going to accomplish, but the resurrection is associated with a person. The resurrection is associated with Jesus, who is the resurrector, the resurrecting one. Look at, uh, again, John chapter 11, look at verse 17. Read verse 17, you're familiar with the story. Now when Jesus came, he found that his friend Lazarus had been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Mary and Martha to console them concerning their brother. Look at verse 21. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. I mean, it's a, it's a scene filled with emotion. It's a scene filled with tears. They're at a funeral of a beloved brother with friends who have come to mourn with them. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Now look at her response. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. So notice what she says is, she begins to say, like, yeah, I know. I know God's plan. I know there's a resurrection coming. This is not a novel concept that Jesus invited. These Jews have not understood it. But again, Jesus wants, wants Martha here to take her eyes off this kind of this doctrine of resurrection and to associate the resurrection in a person, namely himself. What does he say? Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And what Jesus says is the resurrection is something that has to do with me. That is, if you want resurrection, it is about knowing your right stuff. It is about believing the right things, but it's about knowing a person who is the source of the resurrection. It is the confidence and the hope and the assurance of resurrection. We have the hope of resurrection because of Jesus. We can know we're going to be raised because of Christ. That's where Paul is seeing it from. Jesus Himself promises that. And what I'd say for us tonight, Christian, is again, we have this hope because Jesus Himself has promised it. Turn back, if you would, to John 5. Let's look at John chapter 5 here. Because that's not the only time that Jesus talks about resurrection. There's another time here in John chapter 5, verse 25. Take a look at verse 25. Jesus says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God. And those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in Himself, so He has granted the Son also to have life in Himself. And He has given Him authority to execute judgment because He is the Son of Man. Now look at verse 28. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear His voice and come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. So notice what we have here. Right? We have Jesus who's going to be given all authority. Jesus who will be final judge. Jesus is the one, the Hebrew says, with whom we have to do. And for all who turn to Jesus, who all who in their sin, 
repent of their sin, the reason why they can expect resurrection is not because they're a good person that's earned it, not because they've earned their stripes, not because God's going to kind of cut it down the middle, the bad half go to hell, the good half go to heaven. No, it's because all who've turned to Jesus get the resurrection that's promised by Jesus. He gives everlasting life and resurrection to all who repent of their sin and turn to Him, who cry out for mercy. But what you also see in this passage is Jesus is so again associated with resurrection that even those who are wicked will also receive a resurrection. But it will not be a resurrection for eternal life. It will be a resurrection for eternal judgment. We'll talk more about that in two weeks when we look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. But I would say here tonight, like for all that are here, remember, there is coming a day where we'll stand before the Lord and give an account. Will, the question will be, what did we do with Jesus Christ? The question will not be, did your good outweigh your bad? We're all sinners. Our good will never outweigh our bad. The question is, did you trust in Jesus? Did you turn your life over to Christ? Did you submit to Him, not just on Sundays or midweek, but did you submit your whole life over to Him, asking for mercy? Because that's the only way to receive life. That's the way to receive grace. Otherwise, judgment is coming. And we can be certain of that because Jesus has promised it. Let's turn back to 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thess, and we'll, we'll camp there for most of the rest of our time. First Thess. Jesus, again, I, I wanted to see that. This is, this is from the Lord. This is what Jesus has promised. And again, I think if a guy promises something, um, if, if a guy makes many promises, one of those promises being I'm going to be raised from the dead, if he pulls off that one, I'm pretty confident he's going to pull off the rest of those promises as well. That seems to be the trickiest one in the bunch. So if he's done that, we can have confidence that the rest of his words are going to happen as well. Look at verse 15. This is a word we declare to you from the Lord. That we who are alive, we're not going to precede those who have fallen asleep. Here's what's going to happen. For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. So there's a lot that's happening here. And again, this is from Jesus. First, what is going to happen is the Lord is going to come back. Just like Acts chapter 1 when the angel said, just as you've seen Him ascend into the clouds, so He'll be coming back the same way. There is a day coming, and it is the next thing on God's calendar. It's the next thing on the schedule as you march towards eternity when Jesus is going to come back. And it's going to be a powerful and glorious scene. It's going to be astounding and amazing. What's, what's going to happen? He's going to come back. It says that um, it says He's going to return, descend from heaven with a cry of command. What does that mean? It's going to be Jesus commanding. And just as He said, Lazarus, come forth, and Lazarus rose from the dead, so too He is going to beckon a command to all His saints to come forth. And the dead are going to rise first. And then we who are after going to be caught up. First the Jesus command, then it says there's going to be this, this angelic voice, the voice of an archangel, uh, it could be Michael who this is talking about. He's referred to as the archangel. And it says with the sound of the trumpet, there is a chance that it looks like in the Greek this could be true, that the voice of the angel or the sound of the angel is actually the blowing of the trumpet. Otherwise, it's going to be loud. 
And what's going to happen is the dead are going to rise first. And then what does it say? Verse 17, Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord. We're, we're going to be taken up into the air. So, I mean, imagine just the scene, right? These dead people being brought back to life, flying up into the air. We're going to be going... Well, someone once asked, why do the dead rise first? Um, one of my favorite pastors says it's because they got six feet further to go. But anyway, I, I don't know exactly what they But they're going first. We're going up with them. And we're meeting the Lord. This is going to be an amazing event. This is like, if those of you have heard of the rapture before... That's what this passage is talking about. It's the saints. The, the word rapture comes as word of the idea of being snatched. We're, we're snatched up and brought up into the air to meet the Lord. Now sometimes Hollywood has done this. They, they talk about this idea of like a secret rapture. Like almost as if like I'm going to be chilling with somebody in the front seat and all of a sudden I'm going to look and like just their shoes are left and they're just gone. Uh, I don't think this is going to be like, a, this seems like it's going to be like, whoa, what are all these people doing? And where did all these people go? Like, it's, it's going to have effects on a global scale. Now, there is some question that people ask, like, when is this going to happen? Uh, don't we need to have, like, all this, like, tribulation stuff happen first? Well, no, I think the answer is, like, this is the next thing to occur. And, and if you got questions about that, we could talk about that, or I can answer that next time. Or, dudes, you can come Wednesday morning for the lab. We're talking eschatology starting next week. But... What I would show you is this. Take a look at 1 Thess 5 9. <clears throat> 1 Thess 5 9. It says, For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through the, our Lord Jesus Christ. Revelation 3 10. Jesus also says, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world. That is, it seems like this wrath is the seven year tribulation time of judgment that's coming on the earth. We who are saints are going to be taken out of that. So, what does that mean for us? It means that this could happen at any moment. Do you realize there's like not much that needs to happen for the Lord to come back? Some people say like, doesn't there need to be a one world government? I think we learned during COVID like we're not as far away from that as we think. Like that seems like a very doable thing at this point. I'm not saying we're there. I'm just saying it doesn't seem as hard as it would have seemed a few hundred years ago. Anyway, the coming of the Lord is imminent. You could jot these verses down. James 5.8 says, Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Philippians 4.5, Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. That was James 5.8. Philippians 4.5. 1 Peter 4.7 says, The end of all things is at hand. The answer is this, friends. The Lord is coming soon. And so with that, there is an urgency. There is a reality that Christ is coming back soon to take His bride and to judge the world for seven years. The Lord is coming back soon and when He comes, He's going to change everything. I want you to look at this verse. Go to, I'll hold my spot in First Thess. But go to 1 Corinthians 15. And these are such great words. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. You know this, but, but this is sort of the, the second look at the rapture here with some, some extra details of what's going to happen to us. Look at 1 Corinthians 15, verse 50. He says, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall, we shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, 
and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. And when the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That is what is coming for us. We are going to be perfectly and permanently changed with a body that reflects the glory of Christ's own body and with the capability to honor and magnify Christ perfectly. We will not sin anymore. We will not suffer anymore. Again, what I would just ask as application tonight is do we believe this? I know how we'd answer on a quiz, but do we act like we believe this? When life gets hard, what are your trials telling you about how much hope you actually have in the resurrection? Or perhaps the reason why you grieve or why you're quick to anger when things don't go your way is you're more attached to this life than you ought to be. You've actually put a lot of eggs in this basket. Maybe we're not as convinced as we ought to be. Finally, number, th- number three. Why do we have certain hope? We've already said we have certain hope because of Jesus' resurrection. We know we're going to be caught up. We know either we're here when Jesus returns or we die and we'll be caught up when He comes in our own resurrection. Well, we, we know it because Jesus has promised it. Finally, number three, we have certain hope because Jesus is our reward. Jesus is our reward. You know, one of the themes of Scripture is that the Lord dwells with His people. So Genesis, they have perfect fellowship in the garden, and part of the fall is they lose that. They lose perfect fellowship with God. If you read the book of Exodus, it's not just about a God who delivers the people out of slavery, but He then brings them into a relationship with Himself where He'll live in their midst. And, and what does Revelation 21 tell us? Revelation 21 says, Behold, the kingdom of God is amongst men. He Himself will dwell among them. They will be His people. And He will be their God. First, let's look at verse 17. It says, Then we who are alive who are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. I want you to think about that. We get to always be with Jesus. That is our hope. Friends, our hope is not just in a place. It's in a person. Heaven will be amazing. The Lord is not holding out for us. He's giving us a way better place. One of my, one of my favorite books to read is, is the Chronicles of Narnia books uh, written by C.S. Lewis. In his last book, The Last Battle, it's, it's sort of this apocalyptic end of Narnia, but ushered into eternity. I love the way it ends when it talks about them all finally going to heaven at the end. Lewis writes, all their life in this world and all their adventures 
had only been the cover and the title page. Now at last they were beginning chapter 1 of the great story, which no one on earth has ever read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. That's the eternity that waits for us. And it's going to be amazing because we get Jesus. Jesus, the one who cares for us, is bringing us to a place so we can be with Him. Christian, we should be excited about this. We should be rejoicing in this. I think one of the very practical questions to ask tonight in our groups is, are we waiting for this? Are we anticipating this? Are we ready for this? Are we so attached to this world we don't ever have any thoughts of heaven at all? Let us not be true. Because friends, Christ is coming back. And soon we'll be with Him. Whatever suffering we're going through, Job says as sparks fly upward, man is born to trouble. That is, it's certain we're going to be of trouble. Friend, you can encourage yourself and you can encourage one another because soon and very soon, we're going to heaven to be with Jesus. One of my absolute favorite hymns was written in the 1800s. It was first written by a guy named Samuel Rutherford and then lyrics were added to it. It's, a, it's an old hymn. It's clunky. If we tried to sing it at first, you'd be like, Man, this is a weird song. How do we sing this? Until you look at the lyrics. It's a song about, it's called The Sands of Time Are Sinking. It's a song about this life ending as we drift into eternity. Verse 1 says, The sands of time are sinking. The dawn of heaven breaks. The summer morn I've sighed for. The fair sweet morn awakes. Dark, dark hath been the midnight, but day spring is at hand. And glory, glory dwelleth in Emmanuel's land. I love this song because the the fourth verse which is again about how heaven is about a person, not a place. Here's what he writes. He says, the bride being the church. He says, the bride eyes not her garment, but her dear bridegroom's face. I will not gaze at glory, but on my King of grace. Not at the crown he giveth, but on his pierced hand. The Lamb is all the glory of Emmanuel's land. Friends, Jesus is coming back soon. To bring us to Himself. Let us rejoice in that reality. Let us not grieve as those who have no hope. Let us have confident hope in Jesus. Let me pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for the comfort it gives us. Thank You that the resurrection is not some theological idea that we're meant to ponder and debate about without any sort of relevance to our own life. But thank You, Lord, that we get to be with You one day. That it is an incredible comfort to know that because of Christ, we will rise from the dead, not to everlasting judgment like we deserve, but to everlasting life. Lord, I pray all of us here would be hoping in that. I pray that if anyone in here uh, has not trusted in Your Son, has not turned fully and completely over to Jesus in repenting of their sin, that they would do so immediately. That just as our comfort is sure because of the resurrection, the resurrection also makes their judgment sure. That as Jesus rose from the dead, as certain as that is, so certainly sinners will be judged for their sin. And yet, Lord, You are a merciful King and High Priest. Let any who do not know You turn to You. And Lord, let those of us who do know You, let us in this life not grieve as those without hope, but to fully expect and know that we will receive all that You've promised us. We pray this in your Son's name. Amen.